Bakersoft Story Classic, bringing to you recordings of old storybooks. The Thorn in the Nest, Episode 9 Nell cried till she brought on a slight headache, then made that an excuse for going to bed before the return of her brother and his wife. She did not want to face the keen scrutiny of Claire, who would be sure to detect the traces of tears and to make a shrewd guess at their cause. The girl had ample space for repentance, overpowering anxiety and dread in the next two or three weeks, and though she continued to hide her feelings from those around her, seemed quite as light-hearted and gay as was her wont, the darkness of night was witness to many sighs and tears. Dale came in on the evening after her late interview with Kenneth, and seizing an opportunity for a few words in private, asked her what she thought of Dr. Clennon's starting off upon such a journey in that inclement season of the year. "'Why should I trouble myself about it?' Nell asked with a slight toss of her pretty head. "'I presume the doctor knows his own business.' Possibly, returned Dell with gravity, but can you conjecture what that business is? Can you, she asked. Perhaps some Indian chief is ill, or has a sick wife or child, and wishes to test the skill of a white doctor. Your ingenuity does you credit, Miss Lamar, remarked Dell, poking the fire, but I am satisfied that Clendenin has gone on the same errand that took him before, and that is a chase after a white woman living among the Indians. A relative? queried Nell with interest. No, he told me he had never had relative or friend taken by them, and that is what makes his evident anxiety to find her so puzzling so utterly inexplicable to me. Neither relative nor friend, pondered Nell as she lay awake that night, listening to the soft of the wind across the house, the creaking of the trees in its fierce blast, the rattle of sleet against the outer wall, and the distant howl of the prairie wolf. And thinking of Kenneth without shelter from storm or wild beast, if it were his lady love, he would never say that. This was not a heavy or lasting storm. The morning sun rose in a clear sky, and several days of mild, bright weather followed. After that it grew bitterly cold, and for many hours a fierce tempest raged, and the snow fell fast, the wind whirling it furiously about till all the roads and paths were blocked up with it, and in places the drifts were many feet deep. Kenneth was on his homeward way when this storm began, with, as he had said, no companion save his horse and his gun. On the latter was his principal reliance for a supply of food, though he had in his saddlebags sufficient coarse cornbread to keep him from actual starvation. And well was it for him that he had come so provided as the whirling, blinding snow rendered the pursuit of game impossible for the time being. Indeed, he soon found it impossible to continue his journey, and coming up on a comparatively sheltered spot at the foot of a rock, he dismounted, secured his horse, and with some difficulty collecting a supply of dry branches, twigs, bark, and leaves, finally succeeded in kindling a fire with his flint and steel, and a bit of burnt rag which he carried for the purpose in his tinder box. His mission had not been successful, and his heart was heavy with disappointment care and grief. 
as he sat there over his fire, listening to the howling of the storm as the wind swept through the forest, the giant trees bending and creaking in the blast, groaning, breaking, falling before it, and beneath the weight of snow and sleet. At length there was a slight lull in the tempest, and Kenneth crept out from his hiding place, and wandered hither and thither in search of fuel, which was to replenish his fire. Plunging into a snowdrift, his foot caught in something, and he had nearly fallen over. What? Was it a log? Surely not! His heart gave a wild throb. He stooped, and hastily, brushing away the snow, found an Indian lad, sleeping that fatal sleep that undisturbed ends in death. Asserting all his strength, Kenneth took the boy in his arms, shook him roughly, shouted in his ears, and catching up a handful of snow, rubbed it briskly over the half-frozen face. He dragged him to the shelter of the rock, but not close to the fire, and continuing his efforts at length, succeeded in rousing him, and finally in restoring circulation and warmth to his benumbed limbs. Then he took him to the fire, fed him, and made him share his blanket, taking him in his arms that it might cover them both. And so with their feet to the fire, and each hugged close to the others, they slept through the, the dark, stormy night. The morning broke bright, clear, and cold, icicles depending from the trees, snow heaped high on every side, too high to admit of moving more than a few paces from their sheltered nook. It was as if they were shut up in prison together. The lad knew that Kenneth had saved his life, and he was very grateful. He was a Shawnee, and had been traveling from one Indian village to another, but blinded by the whirling sleet and snow, had lost his way, and at last, overcome with fatigue, hunger, and cold, had lain down to rest and sleep. He could speak but a few words of English, but Kenneth had gained considerable knowledge of the Shawnee tongue since making an acquaintance with Wawilloway, and was able to converse with the boy to their mutual satisfaction. They remained together for some days, keeping up their fare and feeding on some wild turkeys Kenneth fortunately succeeded in shooting. Then parting with kindly adieus and a hearty shake of the hand, each went his way, Kenneth towards Chillicothe, the Indian lad, in a nearly opposite direction. While yet two or three miles from the town, Kenneth saw in the distance a white man and an Indian coming toward him. From thence they were Dale and Wawilloway, and as they drew near, the former uttered a joyous shout, "'Hallo, Doc! So here you are, safe and sound. We feared you were buried in the snowdrifts, and we'd have to dig you out.' There was a hearty shaking of hands as they met. "'Did you come out in search of me?' asked Kenneth. "'We did,' said Dale, "'and are rejoiced to have found you so easily. "'Your friends have been exceedingly anxious in regard to your safety, "'fearing you could hardly have weathered the heavy storm of last week. "'How did you manage it?' Dale and the Indian had wheeled about, "'and all three were plowing their way through the snow in the direction of the town. "'Kenneth answered the question as they went a brief account of his sojourn at the foot of the rock in the wilderness. He said nothing of the object of his journey, or whether it had been successful, but Dale's furtive yet searching glance read a fresh and bitter disappointment in the weary, haggard face and drooping figure. "'And my friends have been anxious for my safety, you say?' Kenneth said inquiringly, and with a wistful look in his large gray eyes, thinking of a fair young face that had sometimes brightened at his coming. 
Yes, said Dale. It has been for the last three days the most exciting theme of conversation with the old and young. It's a fine thing to be a doctor if you care to have high and low, rich and poor interested in your safety. It was the middle of the afternoon. Mrs. and Miss Lamar plied the needle within doors while the children were engaged in winter sports. Without sledding, sliding, and snowballing, suddenly they came tearing in, half wild with joy. Oh, mother and Aunt Nell, he's come, he's come. Who asked? And Nell's heart beat fast and loud. It had been well high, breaking with the thought of a manly form lying still and cold out in the wilderness with a snow wreath for its winding sheet. Yet she had given no sign, but seemed the gayest. Dr. Clennon cried the children in chorus. He didn't get lost in the snow or killed by the Indians. We just saw him ride by with Mr. Dell and while Willoway. Nell stitched away, apparently quite indifferent to the news, but her heart sang for joy. And all the rest of the day her ear was strained to catch the sound of his approaching footsteps. The Major brought him home to tea, and though Mrs. Lamar welcomed him most cordially, and the children hailed his coming with delight, Nell's manner was reserved and quite almost to coldness. He took the limp, passive hand in his for an instant as he gave one wistful glance into the unmoved face, then with the thought, she does not care for me, and it is well, yet sighing inwardly, turned away and entered into conversation with the Major and his wife. We have been very anxious about you, Doctor, ever since that fearful storm set in, Mrs. Lamar was saying. We feared you must perish if exposed to it. Did you not suffer terribly? Oh, no, he answered cheerily. I fared very well, and went on to tell of the sheltered rock he had found, and that he had a fare, a good blanket, and something to eat. Tell us about it, the children begged, clustering around him and climbing upon his knees. Were you all alone? asked Bess. I do think it must be dreadful to be alone in the woods at night. No, I was not quite alone, though it all through it all, he said, stroking her hair. Oh, I know, you mean God was with you. Yes, but... Yes, but I had a human friend, too, an Indian boy, who told me his name was Little Horn. Nell asked no question, but she was not the least interested of those who listened to the story of the finding of the lad, and the way in which the two passed their time while storms stayed together in the wood. She was furtively studying Kenneth's face while he talked, sorrowfully taking note of its worn, thin look, and the deepening of the lines of grief and care that made it seem older than his years warranted. Its expression at this moment was cheerful, as were the tones of his voice, but she had no need to be told that for him disappointment still tracked the steps of hope. Thank you for listening to another episode of Acresoft Story Classic.